0: Well, today, next week, we're going to uh, get back into the Gospel of Luke, but today I'm going to probably uh, do my, my once-a-year topical sermon, <coughs> so I guess we should have a topical sermon every once in a while, and today will be just that, as we look forward to where we are going and where, um, just some thoughts and ideas as to um, our understanding of, of of what a church community ought to be and some things to put forward for us. And and the church, I believe, then is a gospel community. And this came to mind a couple of weeks ago. Well, not a couple of weeks ago. It was December 3rd. It was December 3rd. I know the exact date. So it was the first weekend of Advent. And usually when we get done, after I get done Sunday and Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, I'm re- I, I often reflect on how things went. How did the flow of the service go? Were the songs appropriate? Um, how badly did I mangle my my message and things like that? I can be pretty harsh. And probably most of you who teach or even who do music, sometimes you get home and you can be overly critical. And, and I was that day. And I'm like going, you know, music, Suzanne did great. And I'm sure that the children did great. And I was just being, you know, overly harsh. And, and I'm not saying that God spoke to me, but I began to think. As, as God began to kind of reveal some things. Said, did you see your church? Did you see the church today? And it's like, yeah, I saw the church. What about it? Did you really look at it? It's like, I saw the church. Yeah. What did you notice? Not <clears throat> I said, well, there were these people here and those people were sitting over there and somebody switched seats on me and I didn't know who they were and all of these things. And at that time, a, a woman by the name of Faith was uh, uh, worshiping with us. She was a, a missionary in Cambodia and she had her five children um, with her. And he said, did you see the church? And I said, yeah. And I began to notice, I'm going, what an awesome day it was. Because on that day, well, not just that day, but that day just stood out. We had Africans and Asians, we had Anglos, Native, and Hispanic people all worshiping together, and I thought that was really cool. And then a little bit further, we had Dottie, who wasn't quite a year old yet. She's a year now, isn't she? But she wasn't a year yet all the way to people in their 80s and 90s, all worshiping. We had this, this, this church, and I'm like going, what a great day. I don't know about the message, and I'm sure the music was great. I'm sure Judy did a great job, and I don't know if we had problems with the, with the sound or with the projector. Perhaps we did. I don't know. But what a great day. What a great church. I'm like going, that's... Anyways, I went away from that little time of critique, thinking that was a good day at church. I'd love to see the church to be a gospel community. What I mean by a gospel community is a community that is held together because of the gospel. Not simply because of the things that we hold in common, but that we hold in common Jesus Christ. And so today, what I would like to do is provide just a quick preview of where where I hope to do, go. I want to exhort us to embody the gospel in new and great ways as we enter into the new year. And So the first thing I want to do is provide a biblical foundation for the message and then after that make some application. How does, How does this how does this text apply to the church on Randall Place? How do we live out what Paul writes to this Ephesian church. So the first part will lay a bit of a biblical foundation. I'll be very brief and general with it. It's a rich passage of text, so uh, today we will just kind of skim over it but point out two or three, I think, pertinent matters and then seek to address how we at the church on Randall Place would embody what Paul talks about In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Let's uh, follow along with me as I read God's word. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, and this ends the reading of god 's inerrant word. Well, I just want to begin real quickly, and we, we should note when you read this passage of text uh, it begins with a so then. Which it tells us that there's something really important before that, that this is a concluding statement, that whatever Paul is saying, he's wrapping up uh, or he's summarizing something. So it would be wise for us to go back and consider what is Paul summarizing? What is the so then therefore? And so the main thing we want to do, and I'll just like I said, just going to be very brief on this and and, and fly over. The high points of this. But in verses 11 through 12 in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds, remember, this is the Ephesian church. These are Gentile believers. And Paul is reminding these Gentile Christians, Gentile believers, what they were before Jesus. Prior to the coming of Jesus, prior to the, the, the conviction by the Holy Spirit and repenting and calling upon the name of the Lord, they had no Messiah. They had no state, they had no true friendship with God, they were hopeless, they were in this world without God. That's who you were. And even those who were Gentiles, who converted to Judaism, were still outsiders. They had a separate place in the temple that they were allowed to go, but it was distant, they were set apart, they were not Really accepted fully into the community of faith. You go worship over there while we who are true believers, the, we who are true children of Abraham, who have the right lineage, who have the right heritage, who have the right bloodlines, we worship much closer to God. You go back there and just kind of mind your own business. Yeah, you're kind of part of us. But Paul is reminding them you were outcasts. You were outsiders. You were not part of the promises of God. God. That's who you were. And then in verses 13 through 18, Paul begins to describe all that God has done to remedy that situation. And it begins with, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. He is our peace. And what has he done? He's made both of us... He's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That is that dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles has now been broken down and it's been broken down by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are now one. You Gentiles were once far off, but now by the blood of Christ, Jew and Gentile are brought together. This is what God has done to remedy the situation. And then he... Um, So a a basic summary of this is that you Gentiles have been cut off from the life of God, but now you are full participants in the life of God. You are sharers of all of God's promises. You are sharers of all of God's blessings. You are sharers of life and life life more abundantly and so the community of God is no longer set along racial lines it is no longer set along hereditary lines it is grounded upon the crucified risen Jesus this is what Paul is saying so then so then now that the community of God is no longer based upon your relationship to a distant ancestor but your relationship to the crucified risen Lord so then what what does this mean for us This is what Paul answers. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are, but you are fellow citizens. And I want to point out three images that Paul uses to describe this church, this church that was once a group of people who were discredited and set apart. And now he's going to use three metaphors, three illustrations, uh, three pictures to describe the church of Jesus Christ. The first one he calls them is he calls them citizens. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens. The idea of strangers here would be those who in the culture in that day had no rights. They lived outside the protection of the law. We might call them undocumented workers, undocumented aliens. They lived in fear of being deported. They really had no rights. They were living within a community. But at any moment, they could be cast out. They could be arrested. They had no rights. They could be abused. Nobody had to pay them a fair wage. Nobody had to... Treat them well, they had no voice. You're not like that anymore. You're no longer a stranger or an alien. Now, an alien was one who was permitted to live in the land, but their permanence remained uncertain. These might be people in our day and age who might have a green card. They're allowed to work here. But when that work visa runs out, there's no guarantee of permanence. There's no guarantee that you get to stay here. That's who you were. You had no claim. You had no passport. You had no claim in this region, in this area. But that's not who you are anymore. In regards to the kingdom of God, you're not a stranger. You're not an alien. You are a citizen, not just a citizen. You are a fellow citizen. You have been joined with all of the people of God. You now have a passport for God's kingdom. Now you can show up and say, I belong here. I have all of the rights and privileges of being a member of the the kingdom of heaven. Folks, if you have a passport into this country, it doesn't matter how long you've been here or how short a period of time. You are an equal citizen in this country. If your parents came over on the Mayflower... your parents snuck in, but you've received citizenship, and you have that passport. You have all the same rights and privileges as anybody else. God is now saying to us, Paul is saying to these Ephesians, you who were once far off, you were not part of God's kingdom, you now have a passport, and you are a full citizen of the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, and he says, not only that, But you are members of the household of God. Do you notice Paul gets a little bit more intimate here, doesn't he? Not only are you citizens, but you're children. Adopted children. You're not just citizens. You're family. The uniting factor is Jesus Christ. The uniting factor is not the tribe you come from, not your social standing, your education, your political affiliation, your stage of life or shared interests. What? Unites us is the blood of Jesus Christ. How many know families can be messy, but your family and Jesus Paul goes on and says he 's the cornerstone. He is the one who has set the building um in in its proper place i don 't know if cornerstones are as important today as they were um Back then, but back then, the cornerstone was critical. If it was off, everything else was off. The walls would be crooked. The, the, the structure would be um, compromised. It would not be strong. It would be distorted. Because then Jesus goes, or Paul goes on and says this, not only are you citizens, not only are you family, but you are a temple. this is even more intimate. He talks about us being a building, a structure that is joined together and grows into a holy temple, that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. If that's not set right, the building becomes crooked. The building is compromised. The building is is uh, becomes much more likely to collapse, but with The cornerstone being straight and square and plump. Everything else works out and is strong and sound structurally. You are a temple built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And And each of us are stones in this living, growing temple. Peter talks about us as being living stones joined together. Now. I understand that the church is not complete until Jesus comes again, but when a person is joined to Christ, she's joined to one another. She's joined to everybody else. Folks, the idea, and you've heard me say this probably a zillion times, people say, well, I'm the church. No, you're not. Church, by definition, is corporate. You are not the church. Any more than a brick out in the field is a house. It only becomes a house when it's joined with a bunch of other bricks. But a brick by itself is a brick out in the field. We, when we come to Christ, we are, Paul and Peter use this metaphor, we are stones. And we are joined to one another to build up. And it keeps getting built. And it's a living building, if you will. We are built together. And there we, sometimes buildings have differing materials. And God uses people with differing gifts and differing abilities to create his temple. Here's the thing. Without you, there's a hole in the wall. If we're bricks, without you, there's just a big hole in the wall. And with a hole in the wall comes vermin and all sorts of stuff from the outside. The church needs you. And... God has gifted you to be part of his church. And I would like to to note that the gifts that God has given you for his kingdom are not primarily for you, but they're for others. All right. So God has gifted you, planted you in a community and called us to grow and to join together. But this is a this is also the other to take this metaphor a little bit further. <coughs> This temple, all good. When the temple was built, it was filled with the Holy Spirit. And each of you, as the temple of God, are filled with the Holy Spirit. But when we come together, Paul speaks, or the Bible speaks, of the, the, the temple being an individual in person, having the Holy Spirit. But he also talks about the corporate body being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us the praise of his glorious name. This is the church. Paul says you were once outside, you were foreigners, you were were strangers, but now you're citizens, now you're family, now you're built together with one another to be a temple that is living and breathing and it is the place where God's presence dwells and it displays the glory and splendor of the God who has created it. That's That's his church. So, with that very brief and very quick summary of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, I would just like to put forth perhaps some thoughts or some applications regarding how this works out in the church on Randall Place. And I'm going to begin with just some hazards, some hazards for advancement in the kingdom, um, ad- hazards for advancement. For corp, And the first hazard for our advancement would be disunity and division. I don't know about you folks, but we live in an increasingly divisive culture. In fact, our, the bulk of our economic system is based on dissatisfaction. We are trained to be unhappy. From the time you are born, marketers are telling you that you should be unhappy. Because, see, if you are content and satisfied, you will never buy a new widget. If you are happy with your current widget, you will never buy a new widget unless it breaks. And planned obsolescence is another issue. But we want you to buy a new thing before your old thing breaks. We want you to be unhappy with your thing, even though it's perfectly good. So... Whatever it happens to be—your your phone, or your car, or your house, or your spouse—you are to be unhappy with that. And get a new one, the new upgraded version. The new version is is always going to be better, even though your former one worked perfectly well. Your your current phone is perfect. Makes phone calls, receives texts. Get on the this powerful little computer in your hand, and it works just fine, but it doesn't have some new face recognition now. So, got to get the new one. We are taught from the very beginning to be dissatisfied, and so we live in this increasingly divisive culture. And our question then is, will we be influenced by society or the gospel? Because our culture is unbelievably divided from political affiliations to ageism and sexism and all of these other isms. And the the culture keeps driving a wedge. I should be suspicious of you because of some physical aspect of you or because of where you live or because of where you went to school or because of where you don't live or where you didn't go to school or or what job you're in or not in. Or your marital status. I should be suspicious of you. We need to understand. Are we going to be influenced by, by that? Or are we going to be influenced by the gospel? Because I, what I just read in the gospel. Is that we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm reading. That's what I'm trying to understand. And so our first hazard for advancement. Is that we, we are so. Affected by information that comes our way that affects our peaceful coexistence. And disunity and division minimizes and delegitimizes our witness. Jesus said that the unity of the believers would be the evidence that, God, that the Father has sent the Son into the world. Folks, wounds are Inevitable. We are a family, and wounds are inevitable. Here's a really odd paradigm that God gives us about the church. We are called to life together. We are called to life together. And the life that we are called displays the glory of God, and then here's the kicker, and we're all sinners. That's just a, I don't know, that's just a weird paradigm. God says, I want you all together. I'm calling you to a life that displays my glory and I'm calling a bunch of sinners to do that. Well, sometimes we don't quite get it right and so wounds are inevitable. Some of the wounds we inflict upon one another are unintentional, such as perhaps an unkept promise or an errant word. Perhaps you say, yeah, I'll, I'll do this for you and, and you fail to do it. Or, or, you say something, because I'm up here a lot, I say things that sometimes I'm like, oh no, did I really say that? I probably hurt so-and-so when I said such-and-such. I need to get on the phone. Sometimes I don't even know it. And I just go on thinking, oh, everything's fine. Sometimes someone will say, you know, <laughs> the thing you said, What thing? I don't even remember saying it. Rethink it. These are unintentional. We hurt one another. I've often said if you're with us long enough, we will offend you. We will we're family. Which one of you family members have not upset another family member or been upset by another family member? Which one of you? None of you. And as family, we I pray that these things are are unintentional, but sometimes because of sin, hence we are sinners, we even sometimes intentionally hurt one another because the heart is deceitful. Unity and wholeness has always been a strength of this church and we've taken some hard hits this year. I would hope as we are influenced by the gospel that we would consider a few a few elements. The first one, as a congregation... Congregation is called to protect the unity of the church. I would implore you and urge you and exhort you to protect the unity of the church as best as you can. Be reluctant to take sides. Put your hope in what the spirit can do and temper your expectations of what leaders can do. We have a really good group of leaders in this church. Charlie and Nelson and Samuel, I think, are, are great men of God. But I just want, I want to emphasize that word, men. You know what? We will fail and make wrong decisions. Temper. What you think men can do. and Be hopeful in what you know the Spirit can do. Be reluctant to take sides. I'll give you a good, a good example. Sometimes even leaders have um, information that you don't have. And we have to make decisions on that. Let me just give you an illustration that has nothing to do with this church. Let's just say we needed a new elder. We don't. We have great men leading this church. But let's just say we were looking for a new elder. And we would seek the congregation's input. And this congregation unanimously put forth Mr. Jones loves the Lord, seeks the Lord, well grounded in Scripture. But Mr. Jones has come to one of the leaders and expressed that his marriage is falling apart and that he is on the verge of divorce with his wife. The leaders of the church would say despite your great recommendation for Mr. Jones to be an elder, we are going to not have Mr. Jones be an elder. And we are not going to tell you why. That would be betraying Mr. Jones. We will work with Mr. Jones and make sure that Mr. Jones hopefully can reestablish his marriage and sometime down the road, once again, be called to be an elder because he has. But but these are areas where sometimes... Um, There's information and and it just needs to be um, protected. So be reluctant to take sides because it's easy for talk then to go off and say, well, you know what? Can't believe they just don't like Mr. Jones because something. No, we love Mr. Jones. So protect the unity of the church. So that's one of the things, division and disunity is one of the things that threatens this Church that God has purchased. Another one that the second. There are probably a bunch of things that that can hinder the the uh, the advancement of God's church. But the second, I'm just going to cover two. The second one is biblical literacy. I read a great quote, so I wish I had written it, but but here it is: We are catechized more by cable news than by creeds. I thought that was awesome. We are catechized more by cable news than we are by our creeds. And for those of you who are anti-creedal, catechized more by cable news than we are God's word. And as a result, growth is stunted. We become adult adolescents, never growing up. We grow older, but we never grow up. We never mature. I think these are two major major threats as we go forward. So let me now, that's the negative side, let me give the positive side some protections. How do we protect this church that God has built upon the foundation of the apostles and of prophets and Jesus Christ being himself, being the chief cornerstone? How do we then protect this church, this community that God has called us to as citizens, as family members, and as living, growing, breathing Spirit filled living stones in this temple that God is building. How do we protect it? The first one I'd like to put forth is the idea of making sure that we are a gospel oriented community. Let me define that a little bit better. Church communities are often, often built on similarity. We, are, we, we build ourselves on stage of life or worship style or subcultural interest on marital status, profession. Based. We may even have, um, I go to this church because it starts at 8 or I go to that church because it starts at 10. Church community is often built on similarity. And first of all, let me say this. I don't think that's wrong or sinful. I recognize human nature. I recognize that we want to be around, we will tend to gravitate to certain people and not to other people. I have no problem with that. We will tend to gravitate to people who have similar interests or where we are at similar stages of life with one another. That's very normal. I don't have a problem with that. Get together with those who are similar to you or who you have a shared affinity with or what have you. I get it. Bless one another. What I'm saying is this. Go beyond it. That cannot be the foundation of our community. That may be part of our community, but it cannot be built upon that. It needs to be built upon the gospel. What is it that we have in common? We have the gospel in common with one another. So I'm asking us not to... To stay in this community built on similarity, but to reach beyond it. I would like to see a community that would be non-existent if it weren't for the gospel. In other words, that we would come together and fellowship and have community and ha- with one another on the sole basis that we are related by the person of Jesus Christ. And without the person of Jesus Christ, this community wouldn't even exist. So I have no problems with the idea of let's, let's, uh, let's have a single mother's group. Great. But I pray. But, see, but you can have that group without the gospel. You don't need the gospel to have that. Here's what I'm talking about. I want people who normally should be at odds with one another. Who would normally, who the world would look at and say, there is no reason whatsoever that they ought to be getting along with one another. And there they are in the same building at the same time on the same day singing the same songs. And actually eating a meal with one another. What is that community? See, I can build, we can build a community based on similarities. That's easy to do. We do it all the time. The world does it. So it's not wrong. I understand where we are with our our similarities. There are certain people who I will tend to, you know, you get done, you meet somebody, you go, I just like that person. I just want to hang out with that person. And you do. Do it. Bless one another. But don't stop there. We want to try to build community that doesn't exist unless the gospel is real. See, I think that's an attractional community. I think that's in a community that, that attracts people that is grounded not on similarity but on Christ. Sometimes in church growth classes and church growth seminars and we need to have an attractional community so we attract people with songs or with music and so we got hip hop or something. For for words, that's fine. I just think it's a cheap imitation. I just think it's cheap. I think God is attractive. I think the gospel is attractive. I think it's attractive to unbelievers if they see the gospel actually being lived out by the people who claim to be transformed by it. I think God is attractive. I think the church community is a place we should want to be. And I think that's supernatural. I think that's compelling. So I'm less interested in using worldly models to attract the supernatural. Why are we using natural models to attract supernatural? I'd like to see supernatural attract, be, be the attraction. So here's what I'm saying, folks. I want to see people united by the gospel, politically left and politically right. If you are a Democrat or a Republican or a Marxist or a socialist, and you are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's get together. Today is the last week of national foot- regular season National Football League, NFL. Big issue this year is are you a kneeler or a stander? I want kneelers and standers in the same pews together having the same meal together, worshiping the Lord and singing the same songs together. Yeah, we may disagree on whether or not we should kneel or stand or be off the field or whatever. And you probably got good reasons for whether or not one should kneel or whether or not one should stand. But when we gather in this place, not only when we gather in this place, but when we leave this place, the kneeler calls the standard during the week, Hey brother, how you doing? Hey sister, I hear you're sick, what can I do for you? That's what I want. I think that's important. I think that's compelling. And I understand that folks who are conservative are probably going to tend to associate with other conservative folks and liberals are probably going to be more likely to associate with more liberal folks and kneelers are going to associate with other kneelers and standers with other standers and the list goes on and on and on. And certain people of certain stage of life, young families, retired people will probably have certain things in common. I'm just saying, don't let that be the foundation of your relationship. Jesus Christ should be the foundation of our relationship. Affinities are important. They're just not all important. The gospel is important. I often think, I wonder, I wonder what Simone and I would do if we were to build build a ministry and friendships based on affinity. A middle-aged, interracial couple with no kids. Who are we going to fellowship with? Tell me. Where are we going to go? Find somebody like us. And I've told this story often. One of the churches we went to, we went to a Bible. It time to go to one of the Bible studies. And we were all told to go to this one group because it's where all the people of the same age. We went to a group with a bunch of older people. People wanted to know why. We didn't really have an answer. We just felt home there. We felt like that was the place God would have us be and we have lifelong friendships with the people from that particular group. They're beautiful, wonderful, wonderful people. We didn't have much in common with them. They came from a completely different generation. Mostly wealthy and mostly white, and we weren't. Well, I was white, but still am. Not past tense. (laughs) Not wealthy. But they loved us and we loved them. And God's word was proclaimed. So I, I recognize that every church has a majority culture. This town has a majority culture. I realize that the majority of this town is married. I, I, very few in Pine and Strawberry are unmarried. The majority are in the ages of 50 to 65. That's the majority culture. All right. Very, very few. I think I, I, think I counted like eight teenagers. I didn't count them. I looked at the census. So. I understand that the church has a majority culture. I understand that pine and strawberry have a majority culture. Uh, I'm not denying that. I recognize that. If you plant a church in North Scottsdale, you're going to have a majority culture. All right? I'm just saying, we're not basing our ministry. We're not basing the church on the majority culture, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when the homeless people or a homeless person wanders in, they are at home here. This is their home. They are fellow citizens with passport. They are family, and they are a brick. Without them, there's a hole in the wall. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm hoping for. So, a gospel community. Second thing is evangelism. And this flows out of a gospel community because God is attractive, and God is compelling, and God has compelled us to join Him on mission. He was the very first missionary. Adam, where are you? And he has called us to be like him in that. Does that mean we go across the oceans? Perhaps, but it also means that we share the gospel. We compel others to come in to the family. God compels us. God compels us to join him on mission, and God compels us to seek others to join with him. I'm praying this year that we will see more and more Fruit from our evangelism. I, I mentioned in our year-end meeting we just have not seen much fruit from that. I'm not. I believe the people are sharing the gospel. I'm praying for fruit. I'm praying for fruit. I want to see people baptized, really once or twice a year. Is just, and that's a supernatural work. I can't. I guess I could make it happen, but those wouldn't be real baptisms. I'm talking about. Real salvations. So that's our first protection. Gospel community. Our second, our second protection is biblical training, or perhaps I should say biblical formation. And one of our, our, our mission sta- statement is being disciples who make disciples. That is, I think, uh, really important to keep in front of us. But I will say this, that theology precedes practice. That is, we live what we believe. which is one of the reasons why we're teaching systematic theology downstairs at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, 8.45. I don't even know what time we meet. (laughs) But we're teaching systematic theology. And just so that you're not confused as to, that sounds like a really big word, here's what systematic theology is. It's just answering the question, what does the entire Bible say about? That's all it is. We're teaching, what does the entire Bible say about? this particular thing. If somebody were to ask you, what does the entire Bible say about prayer? A systematic theological answer would, would address that issue. That's all we're doing. Biblical formation, spiritual formation, discipleship. Folks, biblical literacy leads to healthy churches. It leads to transformed lives. It leads to commitment. It strengthens evangelism. It wards off false teaching, and it produces new converts. The goal is that we would be a mature people. That we would not be adult adolescents. We do this through a lot of, of, of different ways. We can do it through small groups and prayer groups and informal gatherings. I'll tell you this, how, though. People who want to be involved, I would say this, that informal relational ministry deserves, is far more critical than we might realize. So I would encourage you to join us at 845. 845 for our systematic theology class. I would implore you to join us for prayer because we join together when we pray with one another. I would exhort you to join us in any of our midweek studies, but I would also be short-sighted if I didn't recognize that informal gatherings with one another is so critical to the church. And I know many of you are doing it. Many of you are doing it. Invite people who aren't like you. I read the story about a, a college student. He was in a church living in a dorm and he invited a, a young couple Well, I shouldn't say young, maybe a, a, well, it's young to me, 30-something couple over for dinner. He lives in a dorm. He served them ramen noodles. (laughs) That's his life. But they loved one another, and they cared for one another, and it's like, this is who I am. I'm a college student. I don't got any money. I can afford, you know, 40 top ramens for a dollar. But I want you to be in my house. I want you to be in my room. I want you to bring your kids. You got three kids. Good. Now there's six of us crammed into this little dorm room eating top ramen, sharing the gospel with one another, having gospel conversations, glorifying God, and giving honor and praise to the one who purchased us. What do we have in common? Not much. But we do have Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again and is coming again. And let's have ramen noodles and celebrate the living Lord. That's what we're looking for. So this is my, I guess, you know, uh, to use a worn out phrase, this is my vision, if you will. I, I don't think it's my vision. I, I, I think it's reflective of the gospel. I think it is. And I suppose it would be much easier to build a church around a hip-hop culture. Well, not up here, but around <laughs> country country western or something like that, you know. Hunting. I have friends who pastor biker churches and cowboy churches and all kinds of other churches. It's fine. I just want us to be a church that has bikers and cowboys and whatever else. Folks in it. So that's kind of where I'm in. I'll, I'll conclude with just these thoughts. Church on Randall Place, who are we? Well, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We have passport. If you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and you are following him, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we are we are citizens not by lineage, not by heritage, but all who are of faith have Abraham as their father. And if you have Abraham as your father by faith, then you are a citizen of God's kingdom. And we are we all have the same rights and privileges. And by the way, we all got our citizenship the exact same way. It was given to us by the grace of Jesus Christ. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. You did your social status your political affiliation your economic situation did not gain you access to this citizenship it was granted you by God's great mercy if you have a passport into the kingdom of heaven it was granted to you so we are not only citizens but we're family and we have one father our Lord and God And he's called us to be family with one another, even when we get on one another's nerves. And finally, we are connected. And I'll tell you this, without you, there's a hole in the wall. We've been joined together. You cannot do this alone. We were not called to do it alone. The church is corporate. Always has been, always will be. It's corporate. And we are joined. And then this little teeny church, This little corporate church is joined with thousands and millions of other churches all around the world that make up the body of Christ. So that's who we are, all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Today we hear for the past decade or so, the idea of community or doing life together has been a buzzword in the church. I think they're good buzzwords. I don't have a problem with them. I even use them. I'm just saying that community and doing life together, I would pray, would extend beyond our similarities and branch off into our differences. And that we would recognize that our our citizenship, our family, our connectivity is with everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, not just folks who are like us. So continue to hang out with people who are like you, but just don't, don't limit that. So I'll go back to December 3rd that was a great day. We've had other great days that are similar to that, but I would long to see a day, and I long to see a day where the church, Church on Randall Place, filled with a whole bunch of dissimilar people, different political persuasions, different economic situations, different ideas, different views, different Kneelers and standers, all of those people all gathered together singing praise to God because all of us have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's pray.